Welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. I could not tell you where our second host, Colin Ward-Henninger, is. It's a Monday morning. Use your imagination. I don't know where people are on Mondays. Fortunately, we are continuing this young podcast's oldest tradition of panicking whenever anything remotely bad happens to the Lakers. Joining me today, he is the host of Locked On Lakers, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, are you panicked? Are you? Give me a scale from 1 to 10 how you're feeling about the general malaise surrounding the team right now. Oh, I, I'm, I'm glad you specified because I'm just a little hungover, like just kind of slightly, just like just in a, a bit of a fog, just from uh, my father, my mother and father-in-law were in town and we uh, hosted an Easter brunch yesterday and, and the champagne was flowing. But but if you're saying, if you're asking about the Lakers on a scale of one to 10, how worried am I 10 being the most worried? I'd probably go with like a... I six and a half, seven, uh, you know, moderately concerned about the direction that, that things are going in. The Lakers only have 23-ish games, I believe, uh, and and we still don't really know when Anthony Davis and when LeBron James might be coming back. And, you know, it's not just getting those guys back, but it's how are they going to mix with Drummond now? And, and if this... 30 minutes a night thing is, is actually going to be how it plays out here with Drummond. What does that mean for everybody else? And, and, and so it's going to be, uh, it, it's, it's not necessarily a concern about the talent of the team. It, it's a concern about the amount of time this talent might have to play together before the games really get important. So when you said you were a little hungover, my initial thought was, Oh, he just watched the Laker Clipper game. And I bet a lot of Laker fans are, feeling a little hungover after that. I mean, it was definitely a little jarring, at least for me, how these, the first five games between these teams since Kawhi went to the Clippers were like these epic clashes with days of previews. And then we get to Lakers Clippers six yesterday, or I think it was six. We had, there were four last year. Yeah, there were four last year. Mm-hmm. So Lakers Clippers six, and it's just this total dud with the Lakers missing several guys. And it just felt like a really perfect encapsulation of where we are this season where yep. – the Lakers are just missing everybody, and it's hard to really judge them. But like you said, there are, I believe, 23 games left in the season. And even if they get everybody back on schedule, which I guess like the best case scenario right now is AD back in a week or two. But they've been so cagey about when he's actually going to come back and when they're actually even giving updates that it might be a bit longer than that. And then with LeBron, we've heard everything, right? We've heard four to six weeks. We've heard, oh, he'll be back at 100 percent, you know middle to end of April, or we've heard he might not be 100% all season. So we don't really know where they are right now. The injuries, I mean, we're not doctors, so we can't really get too deep into that. But there is a crisis that we can break down, and that is the center situation. And like you said, Andre Drummond has come in, and all reports indicate that he's going to play something like 30 minutes a game. We'll just say generally starter minutes for now. And his first game seemed to indicate that was the plan, right? He starts... He plays his opening, I think, six or seven minute shift. He generally looks pretty good. Comes back in for the second shift in the second quarter. Maybe not so much, but that's because of the toenail injury. Now we're in this situation where the Lakers have three centers for essentially two slots. And so far, it looks like Marcus Gasol is going to be the odd man out. I've been pretty vocal about disagreeing with that. So before we really dive in, I'm just going to start with a basic question here. We're now 50 games into the season, something like that. Do you think that Marcus Gasol has lived up to expectations as the Lakers starting center, either your own or the team's? Well, him missing time, I, I think, kind of hurts the team expectation a- aspect of it. I don't think you ever go into a season expecting for somebody you sign as your starting center to miss um, time. That said, I you mentioned earlier that that Clippers Lakers um, six was a perfect encapsulation of kind of where the Lakers are, but I think it's a perfect encapsulation of where the league is, right? Where every other night there's some national TV game and one of the stars or, or a couple of the stars that were supposed to be playing in that game aren't available because this season has just been that kind of taxing. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think, for the Lakers, they headed into the season, and, and I think they were optimistic about, you know, maybe everybody can stay relatively healthy, um, and and you'd be able to get through it. But I think they, I think every team out there understood that because this season 
was so out of the ordinary and because there are so many things that could have gone wrong with this season that injuries were always going to play a, a major part in this. Uh, so I, I think to a certain extent, maybe they, they anticipated Marcus Gasol not being able to play every game out there because he's at that stage of his career. But I don't think they anticipated him missing as much time as he did and then taking as long to come back as, as he has. That said, in terms of the player, while he has been out there, other than those games that he was trying to get his legs back under him after COVID, I think Marcus Gasol has been perfectly Mark Gasol-ish. You know, anybody who paid any attention to his career uh, knew that at no point in his life has he been a high flyer. At no point in his life has he been, you know, the kind of dominant athlete that uh, Andre Drummond once was, for example. But he is a phenomenal passer. He's one of the smartest players in the league, let alone at his position. And and that applies to defense, too. And I think the defense has been better with him on the court uh, than without him. So I think for, for those who are realistic about what, what we were heading into with Gasol, I think he has been perfectly adequate for, for what the expectations were. I think the people who were... Uh, have been the most vocal in their annoyance about Gasol, whether it's in my mentions or analysts or whatever. I think they they headed into the season with unrealistic expectations of of what this was actually going to look like in the first place. Yeah, there's been this weird obsession amongst Lakers fans and some Laker media of, oh, they need another Dwight, they need another JaVale, they need a high flyer, somebody who can finish and pick and roll, get a billion rebounds, yada, yada, yada. And every time I see that, I just feel like saying, you know who does all that stuff? Anthony Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Like in a perfect world, you're getting all of those things from your power forward already. So as I think Rob Polinka figured in the offseason, we have that stuff. Let's go get somebody who does other things to be our starting center. And now with AD out, I think there's been a grain of truth to that. But for the most part, I mean, internal, at least in my eyes, Gasol has mostly been exactly what you th- what you figured he'd be. The one area where maybe I could see the Lakers being a little frustrated is before Anthony Davis got hurt, he was only taking 1.9 threes per game. Like the hesitance was pretty obvious. He was shooting 32%. But then once AD went down, he's up to 3.7 attempts per game, making 42% of them. Like now suddenly you have the stretch center that you wanted. He's passing exactly the way that you wanted. Like, frankly, he's exceeded my expectations just now that I'm getting to watch him every game. But... I think, frankly, it's pretty clear that he hasn't met the Lakers' expectations in some way, shape, or form, because like, if they had wanted to sign a third center in the offseason, it was pretty clear that Dwight Howard wanted to come back, and they said no thanks. They wanted to go into the season with Harrell and Gasol as their centers, and then, I mean, they didn't even sign a Damian Jones-level guy in the offseason. We can get to him in a little bit. So when you hear, oh, LeBron has been recruiting this guy hard, Anthony Davis has been recruiting this guy hard, it seems like across the board within the organization, I'm not going to say they aren't happy with Gasol, but like they clearly felt that they needed something else, which I, I disagree with. I think Gasol has been exactly what they wanted. I mean, the starting lineup with Gasol, KCP, Schroeder, LeBron, and, a- and AD is plus 13.9. Like I don't know what more you could ask out of that spot in the lineup. So the big question I have now is, okay, fine. Say you're not going to play Gasol major minutes, or maybe he's even going to fall out of the rotation. If you put Drummond into the Gasol slot in the starting lineup, that five-sum is only taking 15.9 threes per game. They're making like 35% of them. Like, where is the shooting coming from then? Nowhere. <laughs> it is right that's that's basically it and last year the starting lineup got away with it because they scored a billion points in transition they haven't done that this year yeah i mean what's hurt the transition this year is that like lebron james is in my opinion the, the best basketball player of all time and he is definitely the most imposing transition player that i have ever seen you had anthony davis able to go out there and he runs like a gazelle and and the Lakers had, you know, KCP was filling the lane better last year because he when he filled the lane, he was actually being rewarded for it. Uh, Ronda was actually very good in, 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 in spots and in transitions, especially in the postseason. This team isn't, isn't the same kind of running team 
as as last year's team, and that was a huge weapon for them. And they just aren't good enough right now as currently constituted to be a half-court team. Like, they need to find a way to get out and run more. They're, what's super odd to me is that they're getting the stops that you would need normally to go out there and run, but for whatever reason, they get the stop, and then they just kind of walk the ball up the court when I think they should be looking to push the ball every chance that they can possibly get because they, they need all the help they can get offensively. And then, you know, in terms of the shooting, the the, the I think there are two factors here that are really hurting the team. Um, it One kind of leads into the other, though. So on when LeBron is out there, he's one of the best players I have ever seen at throwing passes into the shooting pocket every time. And, uh, you know, he's talked about how certain shooters want to shoot the ball with the laces. Some people want to shoot the ball uh, with the laces running, uh, you know, parallel to their fingers, whatever it is. Um, he's he's the best I have ever seen or one of the best I have ever seen at making sure that those passes are on time and on target. And Schroeder, for all that he is, he's a pretty inaccurate passer. Um, Caruso is not that kind of a passer. Marcus Saul is is that kind of a passer, but uh, they just he's been throwing more backdoor passes than than skip passes to shooters uh, for whatever reason this year. And 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 I think so. An already bad shooting team is put in a tougher spot, um, you know, consistently to be able to knock down those shots. And then the other thing here too, and I think this is uh, like KCP is the nth degree example of this. I think he's really hyper aware of his shooting percentage, and I think he wants to finish above 40% or around 40% as a three-point shooter this year. And as a result, he's passing up on a ton of shots. and Or, or he isn't running hard enough to get to a spot and be open for, for that shot because he, he lacks confidence. For, so for whatever the, the reason might be, it's not just that the Lakers are missing him. It's that guys like KCP aren't even taking them, which if you're asking a defense which – you know, what What could an opposing team do to help you the most? It would be, yeah, could you guys just go out there and pass up on good shots almost every other time down the stretch or, or, or down the court? That That's exactly what the Lakers are doing, and it is just, I mean, their offense is brutal to watch. Wes has been another, like, really big culprit of the just passing up the open threes. Like, it's, yeah. it's really in every night. Like, some nights you're going to get the – Oh wow! Here's three and D. Wes Matthews. Here's exactly the guy we signed. And then there are nights where it's just like, oh my god, he's refusing to shoot. Schroeder has nights like that. Gasol was like that early in the season. Like you can have one or two guys passing up open shots, but this team creates so few shots in the half court that like mm-hmm. if everybody's passing up three, suddenly you're just going to look at the shot clock and see, oh, there are four seconds left. Who's going to create a shot here? And the answer a lot of the time has been nobody. My theory on the transition issues is that. For all that Marcus Hall does bring, he's not a great rebounder. And the disadvantage of that is their favorite form of transition offense last year was, oh, the shot goes up, AD is going to race down the floor, and he's going to do his quick post up against the mismatch with LeBron doing the hit-ahead pass. Mm-hmm. If, if Gasol isn't rebounding, then suddenly you need Davis there to rebound. My hope is that Drummond, being the best rebounder in the NBA, can at least kickstart more of those possessions and make up some of the points they're losing in the half court. But it's a pretty considerable gap when you think about all of the non-shooting that's in that starting lineup. Like if KCP is shooting 10 threes a game, I think they could get by with him not doing that. I think it's going to be a problem. So do you think there's any chance whatsoever, especially given the contract situation that like, maybe they say, let's start Wes Matthews or, I mean, I, I think Kyle Kuzma is probably a bit too big, but, Maybe Kyle Kuzma, like, are they locked into this version of the starting five? Like, are there any possible changes here? Man, I, logic says yes, but that's just not really how Frank Vogel operates. And um, once you take KCP out of the starting lineup, it gets very difficult to, to move him back in, especially if things do improve. And I think when... When LeBron and AD are healthy, KCP is still the best shooting guard on the roster. Um, the problem is those guys aren't healthy, and like Wes Matthews' ability to dribble more than three times confidently, 
like that that actually makes him look better in this circumstance um, than than KCP and and uh, you know Alex Caruso is somebody else that maybe you stick in there, but. Uh, he is with Caruso he is another guy. shooting. You play him with Drummond. That's going to be a real problem, <laughs> right? Well, that that and also he's just he, he's another guy like KCP who, if you make any of these decisions without LeBron and without AD, you're making them with kind of falsified information. And so, yeah, I just think the Lakers are just kind of have to take their lumps here. And this is I when you lose LeBron and when you lose AD. You're going to suffer, and there are some tweaks that you can make on the peripheries, and there there might be some different approach things that you could that you could try out. But for the most part, when you lose two guys like that, and 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 especially LeBron, uh, your your team is just not going to fare very well. It's just, it's it's just not. And uh, this year's team, they uh, tried to bring in somebody like Schroeder who could do a little bit more uh, when LeBron isn't on the court, at least theoretically. Um, but that's basically where those that kind of approach stopped. Everybody else on that roster, the notion was, yeah, they're they're there to be made better by LeBron and AD. And <laughs> when those guys aren't around, there just isn't much you can do. I, you know, if 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 the Lakers were super worried, they would have made some kind of a trade at the deadline. And I think that's the only thing, like that's the last stretch of rope for those optimists out there that they can cling on to. Uh, but beyond that, the, you know, things are pretty tough. And I, I don't really know when they get better, you know, because we don't know when LeBron and we don't know when AD are coming back. I was like, maybe I was just talking myself into things. I was really surprised when they didn't make any moves at the deadline. I mean, the Lowry thing was one thing, right? Like, that's a blockbuster. Those sort of deals can fall apart for any number of reasons. And like the reported one is, oh, the Lakers don't want to give up THT. Well, maybe they would have been willing to go up to HT if it didn't also cost them Schroeder and KCP, right? Like, they were giving up a big chunk of their rotation in that deal. So fine, but, like, I think about it and I think, are they really that confident in their shooting? And maybe what happened in the bubble last year made them that confident, right? Like, maybe they believe that Schroeder can shoot like Rondo did. Or, you know, maybe they think Markeith can get back up to 42% like he did in the playoffs last year. But I, I am a little confused about their confidence. And I'm a little confused by this idea that they kind of went into the deadline with this attitude of our one hole is center. Like the one thing they did to fortify the team was bring in Andre Drummond when Gasol and Harrell, like aside from when Gasol had COVID, like for the most part, had been exactly what they thought. Now, I want to talk about the other center they brought in, Damian Jones, who you've been a big proponent of. Mm-hmm. My OK, I'm going to just throw out a stat. We can start with this. How many lob finishes do you think um, Damian Jones had in eight games as a Laker? Man, it felt like 300 based right. know, just compared to what they had all season. I, I Over eight games, maybe about 12? It's only three. He had a bunch of other dunks. <laughs> but how many do you think Andre Drummond had in Cleveland? I, less. Fewer than Two. three, I think. It was two. Every pick and roll he ran all season in Cleveland, two lob dunks. Now, there are reasons for that outside of his control, right? Like, he's playing with small guards who aren't great passers, so it makes sense that he's not finishing a bunch of these lobs. But if the theory the Lakers had was, man, the one thing we really need is that Dwight Howard replacement, you know, like that rim protector who can dunk in the pick and roll, they kind of already had that guy. And it was a much easier situation to manage because, like, Damian Jones is not a two-time All-Star. Damian Jones is not somebody who needs to play every night. He is a low-maintenance version of what they hope to get out of Drummond. Now, obviously, he's significantly worse than Drummond. There's no debating that. But you could have had him and Gasol, and you posted this as a poll on Twitter, of would you rather have Gasol and Jones or Drummond? I think that was an especially poignant comparison because there is no Drummond plus anybody else, right? Like, there isn't a low-maintenance version of Gasol out there because that player doesn't exist. Like, Marc Gasol is one of a kind. There aren't other passing centers like him. I, I guess Nikola Jokic, but, you know, shockingly, he's not available. <laughs> so they're in this position where, like, they come out of the deadline, I think personally, with all of the wrong priorities. Like, what do you think they should have done if, if you were Rob and you had, I don't know, LeBron gets hurt five days before the deadline? Like, what, what are you doing at that point? 
I actually really like the roster with Damian Jones on it. Um, and it's for a couple reasons. And you talked about, you know, the low maintenance uh, Marcus Saul that doesn't exist out there. I don't think there exists a low maintenance Andre Drummond either. Like as soon as the Lakers added him, there was the report from Sean's Karania that uh, this guy is expecting or the Lakers are going to give this guy 30 minutes a night and he's going to start and all that. And it's like, all right, that's fine if you're Cleveland. That's fine if you're Detroit. But the Lakers are better than both those teams. And if he's playing 30 minutes a night, that leaves only 18 minutes a night in the postseason for Anthony Davis to play the five, which means that for more often than not, you're going to be a worse team out there. You're going to be not as good as you could possibly be because you're invested in talent above all else. And that's kind of what we've learned with with Rob Palenka is that either you're a clutch guy or – you are a, the most talented player on the market, and the Lakers are going to go out there and get the most talented player on, in this case, the buyout market. Um, it's just, I, I, it's crazy to me that landing a buyout player means also making promises about role and, and minutes and all of that when, like, he has no leverage here. If he wants to go to Brooklyn, fine, go to Brooklyn, and you're going to see the same, the same situation as you're going to see, it, ideally or optimal, optimally. Uh, here with the Lakers, you want to go to a team that isn't going to win a championship. Fine, you can go there and you can play your 30 minutes a night. So I, I don't think you win a championship with Andre Drummond playing 30 minutes a night. Like I just that he's he's kind of antithetical to to success in the in the uh, modern NBA when he's playing that often. So I, I just you know for for me what I liked about Damian Jones was if he started picking up DMP CDs, who cares? He's Damian Jones. He's happy to be in the league. And 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 I think if Andre Drummond starts picking up DMP CDs, we already saw Mark Gasol's reaction to um, heading in the direction of having one DMP CD, where he says after the game, and it was funny to see Lakers fans like, you know, uh, get angry. And I believe it was Dan Wojcicki who said that, you know, who highlighted more the will see aspect of of Mark Gasol's answer, and um, you know, I'll didn't say really this, mention none of those. Much. None of that quote indicated to me that like he might really retire in season and the Lakers might really buy oh, him no, out. Oh, no, no, like, of course not. But yeah. he, he, it's still it's still really loud that after a, a game that the Lakers won and one that he played well in, he's he's still lingering on like, man, we'll see. You know, this still kind of sucks. And 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 honestly, like I've played basketball for a coach who who I didn't uh, really think liked me very much. And when I played well, it was still like this kind of combative relationship with the guy because I'm saying like, this is what I could do all the time for you, man. And and I think for the Lakers, Marcus Gasol goes out there and plays well in a game that the Lakers win. And he says, I could do this whenever you guys want me to, <laughs> this is something that I could, I could possibly do. And, uh, and so I, I think that was where that frustration came from. And yeah, like he's not going to retire or anything like that, but I think you want a happy Marcus Gasol on your team. And I just don't know if, of if, both Andre Drummond and Marc Gasol can play roles that keeps both of those guys happy and engaged at the same time on the same roster that also has Anthony Davis as its uh, center in all of its best lineups. I don't know. I was about to say I was thinking this is petty. Like, it might have been a coincidence. It might have just been renewed energy. I don't think that it's exactly a coincidence that in the first game Drummond misses, Gasol ties the season high with nine rebounds, right? Like, I think that was almost his way of saying, like, oh, you got this guy because he does this. Well, I can still do this if that's what you want. I just do other things. And, I mean, he played great in that game against the Kings. There's no arguing. Like, I don't think that Drummond is ever going to have the overall impact on a game that Gasol did in that one and has had in several others. The Brooklyn example that you bring up, I think it's really instructive because, like, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge go there and they're just like, whatever role you want, we can fill. Like, we're not going to fight over minutes. We're just mm-hmm. going to play however much that you guys want. The Lakers got that last year with Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard was 34, and he was basically out of the league. So it made sense that he would be willing to say, I don't need post-ups anymore. I'll set hard screens, and I'll be the agitator. Andre Drummond is 27, and I think that's getting lost here. Like, this is not a redemption story for Andre Drummond. This is, I'm trying to kill three months before I become a free agent and cash in again story. And that's not a great place to be because, like, half the Lakers roster already is playing for contracts. 
And in some cases, I think that, like, Alex Caruso, you never know it. He just plays the way that he plays. But, like, Schroeder wants shots. He wants to be a starter. You know, Drummond wants to be a starter and play 30 minutes. It's not a great situation when everybody on the team, or not everybody, but all of the role players anyway, are this fixated on, like, they have a future. They have things to play for beyond the ring. And that's put the Lakers in kind of a dangerous situation where you mentioned there might not be a role for Drummond and for Gasol. I just want to throw this out there. Why is this an either or? Why isn't Montrez Harrell involved in this at all? Like, there are three centers here, and we only seem to be debating two of them. Are we sure that Montrez Harrell's minutes are, like, above reproach? Like, are we sure that maybe he shouldn't be the guy that gets knocked out? Like, I'll just throw out a couple numbers here. In the playoffs last season, now the playoffs last season were extenuating circumstances for a billion reasons, but the Clippers gave up 116.3 points per hundred possessions with him on the floor. In 2019, it was 129.4. Like, this guy is clearly a defensive problem in the playoffs. Now, he's been significantly better this year. I think there are some reasons that are explainable, right? Like, playing with LeBron will do that. Playing with Anthony Davis will do that. But we've seen some of the games he's been on the floor for crunch time, I mean, especially earlier in the season. The Portland loss, like, the second week of the season, Dame just hunted him in pick and roll every possession. And, like, that's what's going to happen if he's playing late in playoff games this season. Are you sure, like, maybe it's Gasol and Drummond and not Harrell. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, what made the Lakers so great, especially defensively last year, was, like, they had... They had a club, you know, I, I, I'm a terrible golfer, but I love golf. Um, they had a club in the bag for every situation, right? If Houston went super small, Keith went out there and played pretty well in that series. Uh, they went up against Jokic. Dwight comes back after not really playing much in the in the uh, Blazer series or, 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 you know, JaVale had his role minimized. Like, the Lakers, like you're saying, had a ton of guys who were just hungry to win, like their their top priority was just to win, and and what that allowed them to do is there are going to be situations this season where Montrez Harrell shouldn't probably be out there. There are going to be situations where Marcus Saul shouldn't be out there, or situations where Andre Drummond shouldn't be out there. And my question is, how do they respond to those situations when Frank Vogel, um, who does the right thing, you know, and 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 if the situation schemes those guys out of the rotation for that series. How willing are they going to be to bounce back in the next one when the Lakers need them again? And and last year, like you said, you know, Dwight bounced back and was a nuisance with Jokic in 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 the most hilariously Dwight fashion that that could have ever existed. But still, like the fact that he was willing to kind of just pop back into the rotation and focus again on you know being super physical with this guy who is the most skilled center. In the NBA, one of the most skilled centers that I have ever seen. But what you needed, what 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 the Lakers told Dwight that he needed to do was, hey, just go be physical with him, go try to get in his head, and go see if he can pick up a couple of those dumb fouls trying to flop over the course of the game, which takes him out of his rhythm, or, you know, even better, takes him out of the rotation. And we saw that, and 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 you know, the Lakers were better for it. But this year, is Drummond going to be willing to? Against the Portland, uh, against Portland, you know, as an example, is he willing to not play much because Dame picks on him a ton out there, or or same goes for for uh, Montrezl Harrell? Are those guys going to be willing to sit out a series, and then when the situation calls for them again, are they going to be engaged enough to come in there and play winning basketball? I think that's a very like that's one of the most pertinent questions, not just for the Lakers, but for across the entire NBA. Because if the Lakers can do that, if they can play kind of 2K basketball where they can tweak the rotations and chemistry isn't as important or the players' reactions to that isn't as important, then I, I think they're still the most talented and versatile team in the NBA. But if those if those reactions means that Frank Vogel is less likely to use uh, Andre Drummond or not use him in spots that don't call for Andre Drummond, that makes the Lakers worse. And that, that starts evening out the playing field in ways that, you know, I, for me as somebody who covers and is a, is, is a fan of this Lakers team, that that concerns me. Because if you make yourself a worse team without anything that the other team is doing to you, 
just because of what these guys' re- reactions to their changing roles might be, then you may as well not have them on there in the first place and had somebody on there who's more likely to accept that role. Well, we saw this with the Clippers last year, right? Like politics were a big part of what doomed their season because Doc wouldn't go away from Lou Williams and he wouldn't go away from Montrezl Harrell when those guys were killing them defensively against the Nuggets. I do think there's also a sort of weird situation brewing here where like there's a chance that the Lakers have none of these guys on their team next year, right? Like, Mm -hmm. There's a world in which Harrell gets paid and leaves somewhere else, Drummond leaves, gets paid somewhere else, and Gasol retires. There is a weird situation here where, like, the less you play some of these guys, maybe the better chance you have of keeping them. So, like, I'll throw out Harrell as a possibility. The Lakers only have non-bird rights. They can only pay him, I think it's $11.1 million in the first year of a new deal next season. If he is playing 25 minutes and the Lakers win a championship or make it to the finals, yeah, he's probably going to get a four-year deal somewhere else. If he falls out of the rotation or is, like, really minimized in the playoffs again, now all of a sudden the Lakers might look at this and say, nobody's going to offer him $11 million a year now. Maybe we can keep him. Like, it's a weird strategic thing to be thinking about as you're trying to win a championship. I do wonder to some extent if that's in the back of their mind. I doubt it. I think, frankly, the likeliest scenario is that politics went out. Drummond plays something like, I'm not going to say 30 because they want to play Anthony Davis at center, obviously. I'm going to say Drummond plays something like 20 minutes a game in the playoffs, no matter what, right? Like, I am really dubious, given the promises that seem to have been made, that they're going to be willing to say, Drummond, you're just out. You're just not in the rotation against this team, or you just haven't played well enough, period. We'll see how well he plays. Like, there are a lot of things that he does that I think will help this team. Like, for all of the criticism I've given the signing, I do think the rebounding is going to help. I mean... Honestly, if you have LeBron, AD, Drummond, and Kuzma, like, if those four ever played together, that's the best rebounding lineup in NBA history. Like, that's <laughs> not nothing. You yeah. know, there are a lot of good things that Drummond brings to the table, but, I mean, as you said, it's a matchup game. And there are going to be teams that play Drummond off of the floor. There are going to be matchups where, honestly, like, when they play Brooklyn, you might get to do, you know, the you know first six minutes of every half dance where they're playing DeAndre Drummond and you're or DeAndre Jordan and you're playing Andre Drummond. And there's sort of like a, you know, a, a treaty there where like, we're going to save our real lineups for the end, but let's just steal some minutes here. But after those minutes, like maybe Davis has to play center the rest of those games and Terrell and, and Drummond just can't play at all. Now, something that the Lakers have talked about is potentially playing Montrez Harrell at the four. What do you think about that? Do you think that's at all feasible? It's kind of late in the game to try that out. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, the two players that you would be having work together for those spots are, are healthy in, in um, Marcus Saul and Montrez Harrell. So, you know, in theory, you could at least get a few reps there and and start to collect some data on what that combination might look like. So, it, and, and you asked earlier about, like, why I, I didn't mention Harold with the other, you know, with Andre Drummond and with Marcus All. It's because I don't know that, like, what is it that Montrez Harold does as a small ball five that isn't just, he's just a smaller person there? Like, he, he, I, he doesn't stretch the floor, and, you know, he he's not going to, he, he's good enough in isolation and he's quick enough to be able to get around typical bigs. But like, I just don't know. Like, I, I just don't know that when you play Montrez Harrell at the five, you're not doing anything other than like just being smaller. And, and so I would rather see what he looks like at the four almost for, for most of his minutes. If not, you know, the, the thing about Marcus all is he can't play four, And the thing about Andre Drummond is that he can't play the four. And and so if those guys can't play the four and you have this other center who's vying for for minutes out there and he can at least in theory go out there and play the four. I think that's where it makes the most sense for me to to, to give him a shot over the next few weeks until Anthony Davis gets back and and he starts demanding more of those four spot minutes. Well, let's just address the elephant in the room here. Like, really, Montrez Harrell is he's a regular season player. And now. It turns out, given the injuries that they've had, they really needed a regular season player, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I was very dubious when they signed that contract. Like, why is a team that's trying to win the championship 
using its biggest team-building asset on a player that might not be able to play in the playoffs, he's been spectacular in this regular season. Like, like Gasol, I think he's lived up to every expectation possible. I think he's been a significantly better one-on-one player than he was with the Clippers. Now, that being said, you're right. Like, you're going small if you play him at center without getting the benefits of small ball. You're not spacing the floor more. All you're really getting is, like, pretty good one-on-one play by a center, like, they haven't really reaped the pick-and-roll benefits as much as the Clippers did. I think it was Darius Soriano who earlier in the season wrote about, well, the reason for that is that the Lakers' ball handlers aren't great pull-up shooters. So guys are just going under screens, and it's ruining that. Now, he's been good, but he, I don't think he's been quite the world-beater he was off the bench for the Clippers. And even if he was, it's like, so what? When you get to the playoffs, LeBron's playing 40 minutes a game. Davis is playing 40 minutes a game. You just don't really need that bench big shot creation, right? Like, it's just not a super valuable skill. Now, as far as playing with the four goes, I'm curious about it. I think it's an interesting alignment. Gasol shoots well enough at center that, like, you can justify having a non-shooting four. You know, like, Harrell is four size. Like, it makes sense for him to be able to defend them. Now, my real question there is, when it matters, you're going to have LeBron or AD on the floor all 48 minutes, right? Like, you're not playing any all-bench lineups in the playoffs, especially against the best teams. So what are you using that duo with? You're not playing it with Anthony Davis, right? Like, Because at that point, Harrell is playing the three, or Davis is playing the three. And like, well, you know, Davis could play any position, but like, that's not optimal. You're doing it during the LeBron bench minutes, if you're doing it. And that doesn't seem like a great idea to me, because that's the real use for Andre Drummond, right? Like, the best use of Andre Drummond is let's use these bench minutes when Davis is out, LeBron, Drummond, spread, pick, and roll three other shooters. Like, that would seem to be the optimal use of Drummond to me. So it's not necessarily that I think these Gasol-Harrell lineups can't work. It's more I just don't know how to fit them within the context of the team. Yeah, I that's fair. I, I, I do think that the Lakers would, at least early in the postseason, go to that that more of a, a predominantly a bench lineup. Um, especially, you know, if you have, if you have Caruso minutes out there, right. You, and if you have, if you have, say the lineup is Caruso, Matthews, Kuzma, Trez, and Mark Gasol, that, you know, the, the creativity that you don't have there with Caruso and the creativity that you are still kind of also lacking in Wesley Matthews, you make up for that with, uh, Mark Gasol, then you have two players, uh, Kuzma and Harrell, who can operate more off of the ball and and have the game made easier for them um, by by Gasol's presence out there. And then you know you talked about uh, Tr- Harrell's minutes. Like one of the nice things over the course of these next couple weeks, while AD is still out, if Vogel starts playing him more at the four, is you start to see you know, he can he can start to get those looks so that. If uh, AD comes back and is more open to playing the five, uh, you can maybe have Harrell and AD out there at their proper positions. Because like one of the things they were doing earlier this year is they were having those guys play together, but they were playing out of position. AD was playing the four, Trez was playing the five, and it just looked really clunky. It just never quite fit all that well. Um, but if those guys, if, if AD plays the five and you have Harrell out there at the four, now you can start to actually take advantage of some of the things that they offer at those positions, right? Harrell becomes an oversized four who could take advantage of the size against uh, smaller fours that you might see on a normal NBA night. Um, AD at the five is is a cheat code. And so if you can if you can get Harrell some minutes this year to where he becomes more comfortable in those situations, maybe it unlocks what you can potentially do in the postseason as well if you are going to go completely away from uh, all bench lineups and as a result lose out on the Marcus all Montrez Harrell combination, which by the way, isn't something that I think anybody is losing sleep over uh, if, if it's something that the Lakers quote unquote miss out on. Well, I mean, the danger is last season, they kind of had a warm up round against Portland where like, I know there was a lot of talk of, Oh, they're the best eight seed ever. Oh, Dame this, Dame that. They, they were an eight seed. Like, let's be realistic about that. And they were an injured eight seed at that. So the Lakers kind of had a round to work out some of the kinks. If they're the sixth seed or the seventh seed this year, 
they might be playing Phoenix in the first round, or they might be playing the Clippers in the first round. And like, if you're playing Phoenix, like you're on the road, you might be down to nothing if you get too experimental. So I would say that, that if you're going to do any of this all bench stuff, or if you're going to get really wild with lineups, you'd better like really make good use of these last 23 games because you know, like you can't just try that stuff in the playoffs. Like the Anthony Davis and center lineup, like those are one thing, like, that's a very basic construction where, oh, you're subbing in one shooter for another? Like, okay, fine. If you're trying something like Harold and Gasol, you, you'd better be very confident in that. Is there any part of you that's worried about playing Davis at the center when he, at center when he gets back, like just given the, the injury risk? Like, I, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how much more of a strain it is to play center than it is to play power forward, especially in the playoffs when everybody else is small. But I don't know, like, I think Davis is willing to play center, just given what happened last year. I just don't know if playing him at, you know, 25 minutes at center right now, given his health, is like, is that safe? Well, that's kind of the the thing that's being left unsaid with all of this in, in analyzing what the Lakers are still capable of doing, is this notion that when LeBron comes back and when Anthony Davis comes back, they are LeBron and they are, are Anthony Davis. Uh, and with High ankle sprain injuries, like like anybody who has played fantasy football knows that those high ankle sprain uh, the injuries they linger, they they stick around for a while. And yes, LeBron might be uh, a cyborg, and and yes, he doesn't operate in the same way that the rest of us, you know, mere humans operate. But it is this is still kind of a a, a, a nervous. Uh, like it, it's like people are reluctant to mention it because they'd be jinxing it if they do, and and I I think that's something that the Lakers are have to be cognizant of. And then same thing goes for AD, but maybe even to a further extent because this is a region on the body. Like if there's an organization in all of sports who's going to be just absolutely terrified, and if there's an if there's an executive in all of sports who's going to be absolutely terrified by what an Achilles injury could do to somebody's career, it's the Lakers and it's Rob Palenka. And so if if AD or if the doctors say that, yeah, playing at the five means that he might be putting more wear and tear on his body uh, than playing at the four, then I don't think the Lakers play AD at the five. Not, at least not this season. They're in the, they're in the first year of a five-year contract. They, they don't want to mess this around and mess around with this and, and have it cost them another potential year of it as well so like if you the, the way i would kind of uh frame it if you're just looking at the kind of moves or the kind of pressures that you put on your body uh when you're playing the four out there you're facing the basket you uh have a dribble or so to to get your body into into motion whereas like with uh with when you're playing the five you are operating in in, in a little bit less space and and if ad is playing at the five it's to be able to use his um, explosive athleticism against players that are generally lesser athletes at that center position. But if you're asking for explosion for somebody who is coming off of a, an injury in that calf slash Achilles area, then that feels like a recipe for disaster too. So, look, whatever the whatever the Lakers do, I I feel like it's you know you can still be confident knowing how terrified they are of the situation that they're going to operate in what's best for Anthony Davis. But if that are, are they going to do so? If it might also cost them this season, uh, that's that's the zillion dollar question. I mean, I'll, I'll just be frank. I mean, in a everybody has everybody, everybody's totally healthy setting. I think they in Brooklyn are basically a toss up, right? I, I think they're about fifty fifty. If the Lakers are playing with half a deck and they can't go to Davis at center and, you know, they have this weird 12-man rotation where nobody's really sure what their role is, like, in that scenario, I'd probably favor Brooklyn. And the more that I think about it, the more I think they probably did sign Drummond with an idea of, like, we might need 48 minutes at center. Like, we might just have to say Davis is our power forward and that's that. So I... I don't know that they're going to be fully optimized through no fault of their own. That's that's just a factor outside of their control due strictly to this injury. I do want to go back to the offseason for a second and just hypothetically, we now know that, Drum, that Drummond was available at the buyout market. 
I wonder how this would have changed their approach, A, with giving um, Matres Harrell the mid-level, B, signing Gasol at all. Like, I'm just wondering, if they had known then what they know now, do they maybe use the mid-level on a shooter? There weren't many out there, like maybe Jay Crowder, maybe Justin Holiday. Do they maybe use the taxpayer mid-level and then not have to deal with a hard cap and then sign, like, I don't know, Garrett Temple or Mo Harkless, like there wasn't much out there. You could have re-signed Avery Bradley at that point and kept JaVale McGee. I just, I'm wondering if Rob could go back and say, I know that I'm getting Drummond in March. What do you think he would have done differently in the offseason? So I, I would, I would preface this by saying if you're changing, like if you employ LeBron and you employ Anthony Davis, you are going to like the smart way to do things is to optimize LeBron and optimize Anthony Davis. And, and I think even knowing that there would be risk and even knowing how this plays out where they both miss significant time this season, I don't think there's ever any scenario where Polinka does something to plan for those guys getting hurt. I, I just, I, I still contend that top to bottom, it was the best uh, roster heading into the season. I agree. Uh, it, I, I, I still contend that it's one of, if not the best, I said before the year, it's the best Lakers roster of my lifetime. Not team, obviously, because we, we, we have to see how the season plays out, but I thought it was the most talented Lakers roster of my lifetime. And and I, I just, even even knowing how it plays out, I just, the, the point is to put together the most talented roster that you have, given the guys that you're going to have, hopefully, and... I don't think there's there's much difference in, in how they they do things. Yeah, I think back to this great quote by Tom Moore, the old offensive coordinator for the Colts, where some reporter asked him during a practice, like, you know, you're giving all your practice reps to Peyton Manning. Why don't you give any to the backup quarterback? And his response was, if Peyton Manning goes down, we're fucked and we don't practice. Fucked. <laughs> so right. Right. It's, it's the same sort of concept there, right? We're like, I think they built this team with an idea that we're going to have LeBron for the whole season. We're going to have Davis for most of the season. Now, I think the addition of Schroeder and the addition of Harrell were sort of, you know, planned with this idea that we have a 73 day off season. We don't want to strain LeBron too much. We don't want to strain Davis too much. Now, what we found out after the fact was that LeBron is LeBron. And if he's on the floor, he's going to want to play 40 minutes. He's not going to want to rest. Right. So in a sense, those kind of what were in vain, but I, I ultimately agree. I think they had a vision for this roster that for a variety of reasons, injuries being the biggest, hasn't quite played out yet. But that, that doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to be losing the first round or anything. Like, I think, frankly, they're still the Western Conference favorite if they're if they're healthy, at least. And they'll be able to I don't know where they stand against Brooklyn because we haven't seen Brooklyn at full strength either. But I think we can generally say, like, if they aren't the championship favorite, they're second or third at worst, assuming they're healthy. My big question now is there are 12 guys who want minutes. When we get to game seven of the finals, game six of the finals, wherever in the Western Conference finals, realistically, it's going to be eight or nine guys that play. And mm-hmm. the Lakers didn't have to get to this situation last year because they won their first three series in five games. And the finals technically went six games, but like that wasn't a traditional six game finals. They never got to the point where they were really pushed and really had to trim the rotation. I guess JaVale fell out of the rotation, but when they get to that point, whether it's against Brooklyn or somebody else, there are seven or eight guys who have to play. Who do you think those guys are? Man, that's tough. So I'm going to go ahead and start with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, you know, hot take. I know. Uh, but they're 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 up there. Uh, Schroeder is going to be there. I think KCP will. No, well, Kuz will be there above KCP. I think. I think they really believe in what Kuz can do. Um, KCP Caruso, uh, and then and then from there, I would imagine. Man, that's tough. I guess Harold is there because of like you said earlier, politics winning out. So that gets me to I think six or seven. I think at this point. I think you're and at then, six. I'm at six. All right. So and then uh, and then Wesley Matthews because you need all the three and D wings that you can get, and uh, one of Drummond and one of Marcus All. Yeah. So 
I feel like Vogel being the kind of coach that he is, if they're really in a game six, game seven setting, he's not the sort of coach. Like, he prioritizes defense so much that I think Harrell is probably, if not out of the rotation, on very limited minutes. Like, I I think the way that you're playing in game seven is Davis is playing 30 minutes at center, right? Like, you're in Draymond at center mode there, where you're playing him for the majority of the game at center. So... I'm going to say there are 15 minutes left for either Drummond or Gasol. I, I don't know which. Um, I guess it would depend on matchup, but politics likely dictate that it's Drummond. Then, obviously, you have LeBron, KCP, Kuzma. I think those two are pretty much givens. At that point, it's like, I think Wes has to be in there just given the shooting. Like They sorely need, like, one of the underrated factors for the Lakers last year was just they had these same half-court issues on offense. But then Rondo and Marquis Flores started shooting like Clay Thompson. A big part of this this playoffs is going to be who is going to be the Rondo, who's going to be the Marquis Flores. Their best bet is probably Wes Matthews. Now, maybe it'll be Caruso, but I doubt it. I, I think working backwards, I would have to say THT's out. Sorry, he's, he's just too young. Harrell, already gone into. I hate to say this because he was so good last year. Marquis's probably out just because... If Davis is playing center, what's really his function? Because Kuzma is better as a forward, so I guess he's out. And then at that point, you're just deciding on the centers. Two of them are going to play, and that'll get you to eight. But there's no ideal way to go about this. I guess it would depend on matchup. If I had my way, you would probably just say Gasol is starting at center. He's playing the first six minutes of each half, and then the rest of the center minutes are Davis or maybe a brief stint with Morris if you really have to squeeze some bench minutes out there but man you're right this is really tough like there isn't an obvious like Brooklyn can so easily just say we have our three stars we have our two buyout guys we have Joe Harris we have Jeff Green and we have Nick Claxton like boom that's all right or maybe it's Bruce Brown instead of Claxton or like it's so much easier for them and it's so much easier for a lot of these teams but the Lakers just haven't had a good enough chance to really evaluate what they have and that puts them in such a complicated situation where like even going back to Drummond being in the starting lineup now, they might play 10 games with Drummond at center. And I think there's a pretty good chance that Drummond is bad in those games because the whole theory of getting him on this team was LeBron will fix his flaws. Well, LeBron's not playing right now. So if you play 10 games and Drummond is bad, do you waver? Like at that point, are you evaluating him at all based on these games? I really don't know. It's it's such a complicated situation. And I, I'm just... I'm frankly at a loss over, like, good luck to Frank Vogel. I mean, this is where he's going to earn his money because it is not easy. I want to close with this is more of a legacy conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to a report from Mike Bresnahan in 2015. The exact quote from him was, this is when Marc Gasol was going to be a free agent, and this was the point when Gasol was like a max free agent, and you would have had to really recruit him. Bresnahan wrote, Marc Gasol has no interest in the Lakers because of the uneasy last few years his brother spent with the team, according to numerous people familiar with this situation. Now, Powell, I I think he's mostly made amends with the Lakers over how things ended. I mean, he's obviously still still very close with with the Bryant family. He's like, I don't think there's any bad blood anymore between Powell and the Lakers. But I do think there's sort of a parallel here to Mark coming in with all this fanfare and getting him at a reduced price, right? Like the Lakers traded Kwame Brown for Pau Gasol. They got Mark Gasol for the minimum. There were a lot of people who were upset about both. And then Pau obviously has his, let's say, negative ending with the team. Mark is trending in that direct direction if he, you know, falls out of the rotation. Does this bug you at all? Is there any part of you as like a diehard Laker fan that, doesn't feel great about the Lakers having another messy divorce potentially with a member of the Gasol family. Like the Gasol family is royalty in Lakers history, right? Like it's a little uncomfortable. I mean, I I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's tough because like if the Lakers draft Powell Gasol somehow, I think we're talking about a very different relationship there, Uh, but they traded for him and it was under a completely different regime than exists right now. Uh, and even and even over the course, like at the end, like you pointed out, at the end of Powell's tenure, it was it was pretty awkward. Uh, they actually traded him, had that trade 
obviously uh, reneged by the um, by the NBA, and then and then you had the you know the 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 multitude of trade reports over the course of his last couple of years, which all kind of fell flat on their face. When I think it it had reached a time where Powell would have preferred to be traded. Um, that said, like I guess if you're looking for like positive spin that the Lakers might have offered, they said they kept this guy so that he could decide his own future whenever his contract ran out. I I think that's kind of weak. <laughs> I think his contract would have run out wherever he would have been traded to, and at that point he would have been making the same decision for himself anyway. Um, but and then also like from a competitive standpoint, it was always really frustrating that the Lakers had this guy who should have been able to net them, uh, you know, a few more assets on the back end of, of their time together, uh, but didn't. And so, yeah, I just thought it was a bungled situation all the way around from, from the Lakers standpoint. And I, I don't, I don't hold it against Powell at all. If he's saying, yeah, screw those guys forever. Um, even if he's moved on publicly and he's one of the nicest people in the history of the NBA. So he's, he's never going to say anything publicly against the Lakers. But um, look, I, I think what the Lakers will probably wind up doing, they're definitely going to retire his Jersey because he's a hall of famer and that's what they do for guys who win multiple championships and also uh, are hall of famers. And so he's going to get his Jersey retired. Don't think he'll get a statue, but I'm sure they're going to really go overboard for, that ceremony to to really put a final bow on that 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 hasn't existed to this point. And I thought the fact that the Lakers were able to sign Marcus All was kind of telling in in that yeah maybe things weren't as bad between the Gasol family and the Lakers because I just never thought that given some of what I had heard that that was a a reparable relationship. But it turns out it was. They bring in Marcus All, but then here we are. It's kind of like the the Brook Lopez thing where. Uh, Lopez, you know, and, and again, he's too smart to to say anything publicly against uh, the Lakers after his time. But it isn't exactly a, uh, you know, you don't have to go digging through Area 51 to find, you know, rumors of of Brook Lopez being frustrated by his tenure as a Laker. Um, and so, yeah, I think we might be heading to another kind of situation like that here with Mark. But I will say that uh, I think. If the Lakers are able to win a championship and that's how Mark ends his career, then none of this stuff matters. Like even if he if even if he plays a marginalized role on a championship team, at the end of the day, if he gets to go out and down an entire bottle of wine uh, out there on on a Lakers bus and that's how his career ends, I think at you know frustrations about well, what are we in April fifth and the, the week of of uh, late March to early April after the Lakers uh, acquired a player at his position. If they win a championship, then that stuff doesn't matter as much. But it does make it all the more important, I think, to win a championship so you don't have another kind of bruise on the Gasol-Lakers relationship. There is one other thing that I think will help ease the tension here. The Lakers gave um, Gasol a two-year deal. I don't think that necessarily was because they expected him to play for them for two years. I think there was sort of like a, we'll pay you for two years. And then if you want to retire at the end of the first year, we'll use the stretch provision and we'll pay you. Like the Spurs did that with Tim Duncan in his last year to make sure he could get every last penny. Mm -hmm. So like there is a scenario here where like at least the Lakers are giving them a bit of a golden parachute on the way out. But you're right. If they don't win a championship and this is just an ugly year with an ugly divorce for Gasol, it's not something that's ultimately going to affect the team, especially because the Lakers treat their players better than everybody, right? Like, look at the Kobe contract. I'm sure if LeBron wants a similar contract at the end of his career, he's going to get one, right? Like, the Lakers are not a team that's known for mistreating their players, but the Gasol family is kind of a blotch on that resume. And I, I think it's if it's not important to the operation of the team, I think it's somewhat important to the organization and its internal, you know, feeling of like the Lakers are a family business and the Gasol family is part of that family. So I, I mean, outside of the basketball, outside of all of it, you just really hope that they can make that work because it would be uncomfortable if there was another Gasol who left the Lakers on not great terms. Anthony, yeah. this was an absolute pleasure. You are welcome back on this show. Anytime 
You're the host of Locked on Lakers. Do you have anything else you want to plug? No, I mean, I do some stuff. I, I host over there at Silver Screen and Roll as well. And then every Friday, Adam Mattis and I do uh, Locked on NBA, which I think is uh, is a pretty fun little show. But other than that, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for more Anthony Irwin in your life, I, I just think you have some questions that you need to answer about yourself. Nonsense, man. We should all be looking for more Anthony. Go follow him on Twitter at the very least. One of my favorite follows on Lakers Twitter, but... That is going to do it for us today. We will be back with Colin later in the week. Go like, go subscribe, go whatever it is you need to do to get people to listen. But that'll do it, and we will be back later in the week.